open that Bible this morning over to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. We're so grateful to have this epistle by the Apostle Paul. Let me read for you 13 through 18 of Ephesians chapter 2, okay? Ephesians 2, 13 through 18. Paul says there, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Let's pray this morning. Father, we're grateful for this wonderful truth that Christ is our peace, that he himself is peace in his very person. Father, may you illuminate our minds, cause us to see with the eyes of our heart, grant us spiritual wisdom that we might be furthered by the word of God, I would pray. And Lord, I would just give this day to you, praying for Dan Wild, praying for him, as he's back and forth in the hospital, praying that you would strengthen him in the inner man, that you would, Father, expand in his own heart the height and the depth and the breadth and the length of the love of God. Do that in his heart. Gird up Cindy as she cares for him and watches over him. Thank you for their faith in you. May you comfort them in these days, and may you increase their faith, increase their love for you, in the midst of this physical suffering that Dan finds himself in. But we're grateful for him. Thank you for his life. And Father, we just commit that precious family to you. And all that goes on this day and the opportunity for the students to hear from Corey tonight, both junior high and high school, praying that you would bless that and bring those trips about so that we could make a difference in Albania even this summer. Lord, we love you and give thanks in Christ's name. Amen. The Bible opens really with a declaration of the unity of mankind. It was perfect in the garden, at least for a couple of chapters, but you know that after the fall, then after the flood, the Bible traces the origins of really what is hostility and separation. And out of that, God chose Israel out of all the nations to really be a holy people in the book of Leviticus. But in calling Abraham, he promised through Abraham and Abraham's lineage to bless all the families of the earth. And you remember that Israel, of course, think about it even in light of today, was to be a light to all the nations. That was their calling. The call came to Israel, but it was from them that it would go out to the world. But the tragedy is that Israel, as you know, forgot this calling. They forfeited their privilege. And they ended up detesting the Gentile people, even referring to them as 
dogs. They referred, referred to them as the fuel of fire for hell. You say, how bad was it? Well, a Jewish rabbinic writer tells us one time that a Gentile woman came to Rabbi Eliezer, and she came and confessed to this rabbi that she was a sinner and that she wanted to be righteous. And she asked if she could be admitted to the Jewish faith. Rabbi, she said, quote, bring me near. And the rabbinic writer tells us that Eliezer said to her, no, you cannot come near. And he shut the door in her face. Ouch. I mean, you can just imagine the the hostility there. And really, as you trace the theme of the New Testament, and even the book of Acts, immediately after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and the preaching of the apostles, the gospel immediately goes out to all of the world. In fact, look over in your Bible to the book of Acts. I want to just take you a little bit there so it will set the table for the book of Ephesians for us. But go to Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, you remember that's the day of Pentecost. And of course, Peter was preaching on Pentecost. And as he got to the gospel message, he said this in Acts 2.39. He said, for the promise, and speaking here specifically of the Jews, I mean, he told them in 38 to repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive, you know, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you, and watch how Peter said this, for your children, and then he expands it, for all who are far off and everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. But I love that line there. It's for you, to the Jews, but then he goes on to say, and to all who are far off and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. So immediately from the book of Acts, you see that it's not just the gift of the Holy Spirit, not just forgiveness of sins to you and your children, but to those who are far off. And he reiterates that in Acts 1.8, that it goes to all of the world. Look over in your Bible in Acts chapter 10. There, there's a whole chapter dedicated um, by Peter to specifically Cornelius and the conversion of Cornelius when he had that vision of all the animals coming down and he told him to rise and eat. But look, look what it says in Acts 10 in verse 34. Peter said there, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You see that gospel that broadens and widens. It's not just for Jewish people, but it goes out to anyone. Look over at chapter 10 in verse 44. It says, while Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Why? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on 
the Gentiles. So as the gospel went out, it went out not just to the Jew first, but it went out, if you will, to the Greek or to the, to the Gentiles. God gave the Gentiles the same thing that he gave to the Jewish people who were converted on that day. Look at Acts chapter 11 in verse 15. It says there that as I begin to speak, he's reporting to the church as Peter, eleven fifteen. the Holy Spirit fell on them just as it did us at the beginning. It fell on them, the Gentiles, just as it did to the Jewish people who first heard. Look at Acts chapter 11 in verse 17. If then, Peter says, God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I, Peter says, that I could stand in God's way. In other words, this gospel goes out. It goes out to all. Look over at Acts chapter 15, a crucial chapter in the role of the whole New Testament. But in Acts chapter 15, in verse 17, there at the Jerusalem council, after there had been some debate in 157, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know in the early days that God made a choice among you that by the mouth of the Gentiles they should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between them, us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear but we believe that we will be saved, he says, through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And so you see this pattern there that it's going out, if you not, to all, both Jews, Gentiles, and to the uttermost parts of the world. I think we grasp there that ethnic division, and for that matter, every other division among humanity is rendered null and void when they enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So God, as you see the book of Acts roll out, is not only to the Jews, but it's to the Gentiles. Now the question I asked this morning is, how did God take you, if you're not Jewish and you know the Lord this morning, how did he take you from being far off to near? How did that occur? And we're looking now back in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're identifying three descriptions that bring this passage into focus. And we've looked at the first one on the word alienation, that we were separate from Christ physically. We were separate from Christ spiritually in verse 12. We noted that we were Christless and... and, uh, And we were blacklisted, we were homeless, we were hopeless, we were without God, and we were godless. So he took us, who were alienated, and he reconciled us by Christ's death. So we come to the second feature this morning, the reconciliation in Christ's death. You say, well, what did he do to bring us near? Look at chapter 2 and verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, by relationship with him, you who were far off, 
have been brought near, and he says the means of that was by the blood of Jesus Christ. And what he did in bringing us near is he gave us peace. And he uses that word peace four different times in verses 14 through 18. And we're looking at the features of that. First, Christ is the basis of our peace. Look at verse 14. He himself is our peace. And you remember we said last week that he brings peace by something that he has made. Look at verse 14. Who has made us both one. Something he has made. Secondly, something he has broken. Look at verse 14. He has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So he made something. He broke down that barrier. And I think it's a physical wall in the temple that separated the Jews and it put the Gentiles around the external court. And then thirdly, he abolished something. Look at verse 15. He abolished the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances. When he died on the cross and when he raised again on the third day, he abolished, if you will, the ceremonial law. That's why even today there's no more sacrifices. Of course, Hebrews says that Jesus Christ went in once and for all. But he abolished, if you will, all those ceremonial laws. Now, what he did in abolishing that, look at verse 15. It says that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. So he abolished, if you will, the old covenant in all of its forms and ceremonies. And he creates something, the word there in verse 15 is one new man. It's really a wonderful thought. He creates in himself one new man that was in the place of two. So prior to the cross, prior to his resurrection, there were two. But as he died on the cross, he abolishes the old, if you will, and he creates one new man in the place of two, in the place of Jew and Gentile. It's no longer Jew and Gentile, it's just one new man. It's interesting the word new there, it's the Greek word kainos, and it doesn't refer to just something new, that's another word, such as, uh, in other words, there's things that come out, but they're just, they're, they're similar to something. Many of you are in agricultural. It'd be like saying, we're, we're growing this peach, but this peach is just one of 15 varieties, and there's different flavors, and they come out at different times. That's not what this new man is. It's different than that. Here, the word new refers to new of a different kind, new of a different quality. It would be as though you're saying this is a completely new piece of fruit unlike anything that has existed before. So what Jesus Christ did, beloved, on the cross, he abolished the, the law, the ceremonial laws. We mentioned that the moral laws are still intact. And he made two people become one so that you are no longer Jewish, if you will. Certainly we understand that as a heritage, but you're no longer a Jew, you're no longer a Gentile, but you're a believer. You're utterly unique. 
You're not just a conglomeration, if you will, of Jew and Gentile, but you're a new man, is what he's saying. And really, it's here a description of the church. So you understand, beloved, you are part of something never seen before in the Old Testament. You're not just a Gentile believer. You're not a Jewish believer. You have become one new man. This is why Paul said in the book of Romans, in chapter 10, verse 12, there is no distinction between a Jew and a Greek. In other words, there's no distinction there. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon the name of the Lord. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So he begins here and he says, Christ is the basis of our peace. He created that peace. But secondly, and this is where we left off, he's not only the basis of our peace, he's the bringer of peace. Look at the end of verse 15. He makes one new man in the place of two, so making peace, verse 16, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. In other words, when he died on the cross, he's not only the basis of that peace, he's the bringer of that peace, and he, if you will, killed the hostility both with us and God, and between us and one another. In other words, that hostility was abolished in the death of Christ. He paid the price of death to satisfy the justice of God. He, beloved, became a curse for you, and he provided reconciliation for you. So just in a moment, we're going to be able to partake of communion, and that's what he did. When our Lord died on the cross, when you trusted him by faith in Christ, he reconciled us. You can see that. Look, look at verse 16. Both to God. In other words, you were hostile to God. You were dead to God. You were an enemy of God. And when he died and when you came to saving faith, he reconciled you both to God, and the Bible's very clear, and to one another. And we became one body. So, beloved, Christ has freed us from the law by bearing our penalty in his body on the cross. You know, it's interesting. Glance at 16 again. It says, it says both to God in one body. So the two became one man. That one new man is the church. And here it's mentioned as a body. It's a reference to the body of Christ in Ephesians is full of that thought there. So this reconciliation, the peace that we gain, comes through the cross, that physical instrument by which Rome put criminals to death. The cross is all through this passage. In fact, as my grandkids are home, I've been reading them again, Pilgrim's Progress. We just read it, finish it, and we keep going. Um, but one of the greatest scenes in Pilgrim's Progress, is when Christian, the character, on his way to the celestial city, is weighed down by the burden of his sins. He's carrying this uh, big burden on his back. And Jude must have asked me 15 times this week, Grandpa, what's that big burden on his back? 
And so I have to stop. I said, that burden here, and it's a big, giant burden, is his sin. It's his guilt. It's his shame. And he has to carry it because he doesn't know Christ. But as you move through Pilgrim's Progress, he comes to a little hill, and down in the little hill, there's an open sepulcher, if you will. And as Christian falls down that, you see the burden roll off his back because it's him coming to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the very next scene is he's very, very happy. Listen, when our Lord died on the cross, when he raised on that third day, when you placed your faith in him, he took all of your guilt. He took all of your shame. He took all of your sin. He buried it into the deepest part of the sea. He reconciled you back to God. And in this text, he reconciles you back to one another. So what Paul's arguing here is that the church is unified because we're one new man, we're one body, we've been made vertically right with God, and now we ought to live horizontally right with each other. That's why there could be no disunity in this church. That's why it says in Ephesians chapter 4 to walk in humility, to be patient with one another, to preserve the bond of peace because what has been done positionally for you in Christ now ought to be lived out practically. You know, I would just tell you, I mean, I'm so thankful for our elder board. I'm so thankful for the unity that we have. I'm thankful for the clarity that we have in our doctrinal statement. And by God's grace, we've had that clarity before our church started. But I pray that we would stay unified. I pray that your relationships would stay unified. I would pray that your family stays unified so that we could see Christ exalted and honored. Listen, when he died on the cross, look at verse 16. It says there, thereby, you see that, killing the hostility. The ideal of when he died, he put to death the hostility. The hostility specifically here that separated you from God and separated the Jew and Gentile uh, from each other. I think it's, maybe there's a bit of irony here that when our Lord died and in his death, he killed the strife, and the separation that you had with God and with each other. Beloved, listen, we need to love one another. We need to be unified in this place. Husband and wife, you need to fight for this type of unity because he's already done it for you in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, when a Jew and Gentile come to the cross as sinners, they are made a new creation and they become a new man. And so here's that unity, and here's that one body. Paul said again in Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor free man, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Now, what follows here is fascinating. The one who himself is peace, the one in verse 15 who made peace, is now the very one who preaches peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. Would you look at verse 17, where it says, Speaking of Jesus, 
that he came and he preached peace. It says there, to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. Peace to you who were far off and peace to you who were near. It's a wonderful, wonderful text. So Christ is in this flow. It's not just the basis of peace. He's the bringer. He's the bringer of peace. And then thirdly, I'll just call it this. He's the broadcaster of peace. It says there in verse 17 that he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to you who are near. Now what he's doing here is he's citing, is Paul, two Old Testament passages. Let me bring that up to you. This is where I believe his thought comes from. The first one is in Isaiah 52. And I think you've seen this before where it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him, you see that, who bring good news. Now you've probably seen this in the book of Romans. Here's what Paul is quoting. Who publishes, I just call it broadcast, peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. That ideal of bringing good news is our word here in verse 17. That word preached is the ideal of proclaiming the good news. Here's the second one. Would you look there next? It is Isaiah 57, 19. Peace, peace, Isaiah says, and he's quoting that for his time, to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal, heal him. So Paul is describing here the broadcaster of peace, and he does it in two ways. First, the preacher of peace. Look again at verse 17. He came, and it says that he preached peace to the far away and to those who were near. The, the idea here is Jesus Christ is the preacher of peace. When it says preached there, the word means to bring it's the ideal of to announce. It's to bring, to announce, and specifically to announce the good news. And it is almost always used in the New Testament of proclaiming the gospel. The gospel is the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, I think it's fascinating that the immediate context of Isaiah 57, 19, and even Isaiah 52 was for the Jews who were both near Jerusalem and even the Jews who were far away. But Paul here in Ephesians 2.13 is directing that Old Testament text to a new level of fulfillment that Christ preached both to the Jews who were near, at least in terms of the temple in Jerusalem, and to those who were far away, that's specifically the Gentiles. I think we would understand that the Jews considered themselves to be brought near to God because of their covenant with him, because of the presence of the temple. But in Christ, Paul is saying here, every person, Jew, Gentile alike, is brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
In other words, Christianity is not just for America. Christianity is for Albania. That whoever's far off can be brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. Nearness then is not external. It is not dispensational. It is not national. It is not geographic. It is not ceremonial. Nearness here speaks of a spiritual union with Jesus Christ. Beloved, I think we know that, that the good news saves both Gentiles and Jews equally. It's peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. Now, now look at the text again. I just want to point something out to you before we take communion. It says there that he came. Now, obviously, he's speaking of the person of Christ in the previous verses. He came and preached. Now, the thought, and there's questions amongst some of the commentators, is what is the sequence that he came and preached here? When did this happen? Did he come in his incarnation and preach in his earthly ministry? Or when it says that he came and preached, is it speaking of his post-resurrection and ministry? And a lot of the commentators just fix on one. But I think the, the truth of this scripture is, is it's both. That just the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ is good news. Do you remember in Luke chapter 2 when the angel said there, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy which shall be for all of the people. So I think we would understand just from the angelic announcement that Christ's birth was good news because it was good news. He was the good news. He was the gospel. But even more than just at his birth, when he came and preached, it says in Luke 4.18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, and there's our word, to proclaim the good news to the poor. When Jesus conducted his earthly ministry, he was in the temple and he said, he anointed me to preach, to proclaim, to broadcast this good news to the poor. In fact, later in Luke verse 43 of chapter 4, he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God uh, to the other towns as well. I was sent for this very purpose. So when it says that he came and preached there in verse 17 to you who were far off and to you who were near, it must be speaking of his earthly ministry. But I also believe that the preaching follows his crucifixion and resurrection. So when did he come and preach this good news? Well, he preached it in his earthly ministry, but he preached it even after his crucifixion. After his resurrection, and I think we saw this, did we not, in the Gospel of John. Remember when he first met the disciples after his resurrection? Jesus said to them, and here were his opening words in John 20, 21. Peace, what? Be with you. That was his message. In John 20, 26, do you remember they were huddled after the resurrection? The doors were locked, and Jesus came and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. 
And so I think he came and preached both in his earthly ministry and after his resurrection. In Luke 24, you remember on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples, he stood among them after his resurrection and said, peace to you. I mean, this is just the thought of Scripture. So following the risen Christ, the preaching of the gospel, then, not only from his preaching, went out through the apostles, and we'll look at that in a couple weeks. So Jesus preached this, then the apostles preached that, and we're actually personally, individually, still preaching that today, because we have the wonderful privilege, do we not, to tell other people about the good news of Jesus Christ. Beloved, just for you as you come into communion in just a moment, think about what this means for you. That if you're in Christ and you're going to remember, you know, the, 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 the bread that represents his death on your behalf, then you're going to partake of the juice which represents that shed blood. But here, when you came to saving faith in Christ, the curse, the curse upon you was removed. Your guilt, if you will, your burden was transferred from you onto the Lord Jesus Christ and his work of the cross. Your punishment that you deserved was taken by Christ. That grave that would contain you was defeated by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He conquered the death. Death, so will you. You who were once alienated and far off have been brought near by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So listen, Peace is not only based in Christ, he not only brings peace by what he did on the cross, but Jesus Christ was a a preacher of that peace. He is the fulfillment of Isaiah 52. He is the fulfillment of Isaiah Isaiah 57. In fact, his preaching, if you will, is a royal proclamation that hostility has ended. That's good news, isn't it? I don't know about you, but it's kind of hard to watch the news today, isn't it? You have a tough time just watching the news. So much of it is negative. So much of it is fearful. So much of it is seeking to jack your heart up, to create fear. And in the midst of this world in which we live, Jesus comes and he says, here's good news. Here's how sinful people with a burden and guilt and shame and sin that they've committed can roll off your back into the person of Jesus Christ on his death on the cross. This is good news. You've been given the greatest news ever given in all of the world. The, The Greek word here is euangelion. Here it's the good news of salvation. And specifically here, they are to preach peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. Now one of the The proofs of that peace that he gives to us, look at verse 18. It says there, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Two thoughts here. First, there was the preacher of peace. We looked at that. And now the result of peace. Or we could even say the proof of peace. Look what it says there in verse 18. It says, we both, and of course he's talking Jew and Gentile, we both, and he mentions this word access. Uh, It's a very fascinating word. We have access 
He says in verse 18, by one spirit, it says in one spirit, literally by one spirit, to the Father. The idea of access here is the word comes out of a, really a scene of an oriental court where subjects are granted an audience with the king or whoever it may be, with a dignitary, and they're presented to him or her. In fact, that very word access literally means to bring in the presence of. It's the ideal of to have an entry in. In fact, you could even say of the word, and it literally would mean to have an introduction with. And what he's saying here is that we have access to the Father. And uh, I, I think of that one time where my friend, I, I've told you this before, I was just thinking about it here, my friend played on the Los Angeles Lakers, and uh, it was an amazing year. He actually won a ring with them. In fact, he's the shooting coach for the Lakers now, but he got us into a game, and I took Johnny to a game and uh, got into the game in Milwaukee when I was living in Chicago for free. I'll spare a lot of the details, and it was really fun to, to go there, to be at the game, to sit down there, and then afterward, it, he said to meet me over at section 45 after the game. We went over after the game, and uh, w- there was, you know, a handful of people, looked like a lot of family, just a, uh, some friends, maybe 30, and the guy there brought us kind of behind the door And we went into the outer room of the locker room. And Johnny, probably as an eight-year-old, had the wonderful privilege to meet virtually all of the Los Angeles Lakers. It's kind of an uh, unusual experience. And when I mean all of them, I mean all of them. I had a friend who gave me tickets, who gave me access to the game, but then actually passed me through the, the closed doors and put me into the this the outer ring of the locker room. Johnny got a, a signed uh, picture from Kobe, but the funny part was, was when he met Shaquille O'Neal. And that was amazing. I've told you that before. He's the biggest man I've ever seen. I played college basketball, and I've been around a lot of people that are 6'10", 6'11", 7 foot, but this man was 7 foot 3, 300 pounds. He was just a massive figure of a man. And Mike called him over, and he's just massive. And Johnny had his head down the whole time, and he wouldn't look up at him, and Shaq came, hello, Johnny. You know how he talks, that real deep voice. And he was trying to look up at Johnny, and Johnny was just looking down at his shoes. And I said, I had to hit Johnny, look up. And when he looked up to meet Shaq O'Neal, he just looked up and he said, Dad, look at his shoes. And uh, he... He, he couldn't fathom it, and they were size 23, okay? I mean, they kind of looked odd, and I see why Johnny was staring at it, but I, we had an introduction to all of the Lakers through a friend. But here, how much greater is the Bible says, look at verse 18 again. We both, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit This is amazing to the Father. I think you remember in the Old Testament that nobody could walk into the presence of a king without access. Do you remember in the Old Testament that even Queen Esther was afraid to go into the presence of the king and the king was her 
What? Her husband. She was risking her life to go into the king who was her husband to tell him something. Now, you might ask the question, well, how could we gain that kind of access to God? Well, beloved, the truth is we can't. You were, according to verse 12, without Christ. You were Christless. You were on the blacklist. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. You were homeless. You were without hope. You're hopeless. You were without God. You were godless. You had no ability to get into the presence of not only a king, not only of a dignitary. dignitary. How could you get in the presence of God? Well, you couldn't on your own. So look at verse 18. You don't want to miss this. For through him, that's how you have that access. That through him, through Christ, specifically through his violent death. Back in verse 13, by his blood, what he did for you is he abolished the enmity. He reconciled you to God. He reconciled you to one another. He provided you peace and he gave you access, it's unbelievable, to God the Father. Wow, that's access not to a king, not to a dignitary, but God as our Father. In fact, it's an amazing thought because not only do you have access to God, but look in chapter 3 of Ephesians when it speaks there of the, the person of Christ where it says that was realized in 3.11, in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom, 3.12, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So we get this access. Here he's the preacher of peace, but the result of that peace is access to God and to Christ. I think sometimes we, we can just move through this. I think all of you are, will remember in the Old Testament, they had the Day of Atonement where just that one particular day, only once a year, they would have sacrifices throughout the weeks and throughout the year, but really just on one day, on the Day of the Atonement, only the high priest, you remember, could have access to go back in the court in the, and through the court and back into the temple and then through the temple on the inner court of the temple and back behind the curtain, if you will, and offer a sacrifice for your sins. It was just one high priest who could do that all year. Only that high priest had that type of access to God. But as you get to the New Testament, through his death, through his resurrection, all of you in here who have trusted Christ by faith, you have access to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. What a thought there. In fact, it's not just access to God. It's not just access to the Son, which you have. Look again at verse 18. It's amazing. For through him, we both have access. And then it says, by one spirit or in one spirit. I like the idea by one spirit. In other words, you have access through Christ by one spirit to the Father. Listen, beloved, all three members of the Trinity are at work to save you and to reconcile you. In fact, the scripture gives this thought in Hebrews 13, 20. 
that the Father, God the Father, is called the God of peace. I think you know in Isaiah 9, 6, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. And later in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4, 3, there it speaks of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Peace. You have access to God the Father. So because of that access, what a wonderful privilege that we have. Let, let me just encourage you with this today. Because of that access through all members of the Trinity, Paul said in Galatians 4, 6, because you're sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, what? Abba, Father. If you're a believer, listen, you don't have to be afraid of God. Yes, there's a proper fear of God, but you could rush right into his presence. You don't have to pass any dignitaries. You don't have to get some special pass. You have a special pass through the Lord Jesus Christ by which you can cry out, Abba, Father. I mean, it could be that you've come in with heavy heart even this day maybe burdened by some kind of sin, by some kind of financial pressure, by some kind of physical difficulty, you have been given access to God the Father through Christ by one Spirit. Paul said in Romans 8.15 that you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, you just like saying dearest daddy, if you will. Listen, I don't know how you think of your relationship with Christ, but I'm telling you, he died on the cross for you, that through faith in him, you've been given access to God. You could come into the presence of God in chapter 3, verse 12, through Christ with boldness and confidence, through faith in him, by one spirit, you have immediate access to God. In fact, because of that preaching of peace and his theme of peace, Jesus said in John 14, 27, and I, I put this in because I think in the day in which we live, we just need to be reminded of it. Peace, Jesus said, I leave with you. This is before his death and he died and then when he got back, he preached peace and he said, peace be with you. But he said, peace I live with you leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. And then he said, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Listen, we live in a unique day, but if you know Christ, you have access to God the Father by one spirit. You don't have to be afraid of anything. You can with confidence go forward. In fact, remember Paul in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, where he said there, do not be anxious about what? Anything, but in everything, by prayer, just conversation with God, with supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and I love this next phrase, and the peace of God, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I pray that you could pursue him now. I pray that you could just talk to him right now. You can have access right into the throne room. You don't even need will call. 
You don't even need a special human friend. You've got a divine friend in Jesus Christ who has went before you by virtue of his death to grant you the peace that he needs. So listen, he's the basis of our peace. He brings the peace. He's the broadcaster of peace. And even in this difficult time in which we live, he will give us the peace that will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 